The uh, story is told of an elderly man living in Phoenix who calls his son in New York and he says, Son, I hate to ruin your day, but I have to tell you that your mother and I are getting a divorce. Forty-five years of misery is long enough. The son, as you can imagine, got all excited and said, Pops, what are you talking about? You can't divorce mom after all these years. He said, you know, I, I've, just ha- I've had enough. And, uh, and I'm telling her this, this week on Thanksgiving Day. He said, what? you can't do that. He goes, you know what, don't, don't do anything. He hangs up the phone. He immediately calls his sister who lives in Chicago and he says, you're not going to believe this, but dad just called and says, they're getting a divorce. She said, what are they thinking? She goes, you know what? Meet me here and we'll fly out together. So she jumps on the phone, calls dad. Says, dad, I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what you're going through. But you know what? We're coming out. Don't you do anything. We're both coming out for Thanksgiving and we're going to have a sit down conversation with you. So the dad hangs up the phone, turns around, looks at his wife, and he smiles and says, they're coming for Thanksgiving, (laughs) and they're paying their own way. (laughs) Love it. He said, now, what are we going to tell them for Christmas? You know, I love that story because, you know, in a humorous way, it reminds us that, you know, actions today definitely have an impact or an effect on the events of tomorrow. You know, on a similar note to a much grander scale, I may add, the Bible tells us that it's by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God that God's purposes are fulfilled. Probably the most uh, exciting verse in all of Scripture for me in this regard is in Acts chapter 2, verse 23 where in Peter's sermon he says, This man, speaking of Jesus, was delivered up by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God. And you nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. You know, Peter's emphatic use of the word, this man, shows a tremendous contrast in how people see Jesus. The audience at the time saw Jesus as just a man who claimed to be God. And he said, you know what, hey, listen, you know what? His claim of being Messiah, his claim of deity, his claim of being the Savior are accurate. And let me tell you why. Because they were thinking, well, you know what? If he was really God, if Jesus was truly the Messiah, remember, as we're going through Luke, we recall all the times where the people thought, and especially, particularly the religious leaders thought, well, if you're really the Messiah, you're going to set up your kingdom. Because that's the way we see things come falling down, you know, falling into place. And you don't seem to be doing any of that. So therefore, you're not the God we're looking for. You're not the Savior we're looking for, the Redeemer, the Messiah, the Deliverer that we want. We want somebody who's going to set up an earthly kingdom. And what Peter goes on to argue is saying that, you know what, your concept of God does not preclude the fact that Jesus is indeed who he claimed to be. He said, so he emphasized this man, you call him a man, but let me just tell you something about this man. This man was delivered up, and the term delivered up, it's the only place it's used in the New Testament, has to do with being turned over or betrayed. We know from Scripture that God's plan was that Jesus would be betrayed. He would be turned over into the hands of his enemy, and that's exactly what took place. By the design of God, Jesus was betrayed by Judas into the hands of the Jewish leaders who handed him over to the Romans for execution. 
He goes on and say, by the predetermined plan, and, he, and predetermined means horizon, you know, this boundary, this marked out with the boundary that was set. And if you take these things together, they indicate that Jesus Christ was delivered to death because God planned and ordained it. This has always been God's plan before the foundation of the world to redeem man to God. This was God's plan. It was predetermined by God, by the foreknowledge of God. And foreknowledge doesn't mean that God just knew about this in advance. The word foreknowledge in its context means that it actually acts upon something. So if you put all this together and and, and the way it all falls into place is that Peter strongly emphasizes the point that Jesus was delivered to death by God's eternal plan. His death in no way contradicted his messianic claims because this was God's plan. And and he's telling us that Jesus was delivered to death by God's predetermined plan. And yet he goes on to say at the same time that it does not absolve those who put him to death of their guilt. This man who you put to death by the predetermined plan or foreknowledge of God was delivered up and you're responsible for your actions though this was always God's plan. And this is important for us to understand because we need to recognize that, you know what, even though this was God's plan, it does not absolve humanity of the act of putting Jesus to death upon the cross. And so let me put it into our own relational terms or at least something that's more relevant for us, and that is this. Men are responsible not for God's plans, but for their own sins. See, God did not create Judas so that Judas would betray Jesus. Therefore, Judas never had a responsibility in his choice. God's predetermined plan is that he would be delivered up or betrayed. God knew Judas would be the one who would do it, but Judas had the free will and was responsible for the choice that he made, as you and I are responsible for the choices that we make. Say, well, what does this have to do with our study through Luke's gospel? Well, it lays a foundation for the passage that we're going to look at today because if you'll turn with me, you'll notice that in this passage, Jesus gives us a glimpse of the future. And it's important that we recognize and understand while God has a predetermined plan and by His foreknowledge things take place, you and I are still responsible for our decisions in that plan. God still holds us accountable for our choices. And you need to recognize, as I do, that you know what? I'm responsible to God for what I choose. You're responsible and I'm responsible to God for how we choose to respond to the message that God delivers us. And so God does not absolve us of our responsibility. He holds us responsible for our choices. Now, we're going to read this passage in Luke chapter 21 and see that God has a definitive plan for the future. And at the same time, we're to live out our lives in the present fully responsible for our actions. And so Luke chapter 21, starting with verse 5, we read these words. 
And while some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts, Jesus said, As for these things which you're looking at, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another which will not be torn down. And they questioned him, saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? He said, See to it that you not be misled. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand, and don't go after them. And when you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. Then he continued by saying to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places plagues and famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, for I will give you an utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or to refute. But you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all on account of my name, yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives." During the uh, preceding days, if you recall, and the, and the wonderful thing, as I always mention about studying the Bible in context is we see a flow, we see a build of momentum, we see context, we see foundation that's laid, and Jesus would teach one truth, and then he'd build upon that one, then he'd build upon the next one, and he'd build upon it. And so we see it in, in the context in which it took place. And so we can identify with those who are hearing his teaching and putting ourselves in their position as we read through the accounts that we have and recognize that, you know, First of all, we saw his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We saw the people claim, you know, making great messianic claims. They were praising him as being the Messiah, the deliverer, the promised one of God. He goes into the temple and he turns over the temple. He says, you have made my house into a den of thieves. You know, all of this is taking place. The religious leaders are coming after him saying, who do you think you are? By what authority do you do this? And he answered those questions one after another after another. And then he finally, you know, hit him back with with a zinger, well, why don't you answer me this question? You know, David said to my Lord, sit at my right feet. And it's like, well, wait a minute. If David's son is David's Lord, how is that possible? And they were all blown away by it because they didn't really, they, they couldn't comprehend what was going on. And so then he was teaching him about giving. And we saw that the last time that we were together and, 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 you know, we saw Jesus sitting by the offering boxes, so to speak, or these trumpets that they would put the offerings in, these 13 that are laid out in the, in the treasury at the temple. And people would come in and they were given these magnificent gifts and they were pouring in the money. And, and you know, and, and, and he's seeing all this and, he, and this one widow comes in with the two little thin coins and drops hers in. And, and Jesus says, you know what? What she gave is more than what all of everybody else gave combined. Mind. And he began to teach the principle of giving from our hearts and understanding that God doesn't just want our money. He wants us. He wants all of us, all that we are, to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what God expects of you and me, that we just give him ourselves. 
And so, as you can imagine, the disciples are, there's, I mean, they're just like we do. You know, I see, I see you and I, I see myself, you know, walking out at the end, of, you know, of a service after getting bombarded, basically, with the Word of God and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And I see some people, they just walk out like deer in headlights, like, whoa, what just hit me? What was I? It's like, you know, it's this constant, it's beautiful, because I go through the same thing. It's like, wow, man, this, there's, there's so much that, that, that God is trying to teach me. There's so much that He's telling me. There's so much more that I need to be doing. There are things that I need to stop doing. There are things that I need to start doing. And, and, and so they're leaving. As you can imagine, they're leaving the temple and they're going out on the road. And they, they, their heads are spinning. I mean, I can picture that. Their heads are spinning. And I think the last thing that they're spinning about is this thing about giving, man. It's really kind of, I'm not sure I really get it. You know, and as they're going out, they look back and, and they see this. And this is what prompts the question. And they say to him, but, but while they were talking about the temple and they were walking out and we're told in Matthew's account and Mark's account, these parallel accounts, that it was after that they had walked a distance and they were looking back and they saw this magnificent temple and they saw these, these great buildings that surrounded it and all this stuff was going on. There's no doubt in my mind that these things are causing their heads to spin. And, and you know what? And when they're looking at this, they're saying, man, isn't, aren't these tremendous facilities? I mean, this, this place is gorgeous, and there was no hype about that at all. If you do any study of history and you read about the temple and the building that was there, you know, it, we know from the gospel account that the temple, it was 46 years in construction. I mean, they, they were at a point where they had spent 46 years building this building. I feel so much better about our construction schedule <laughs> that's going on. Because we know that the temple wasn't built for another 17 years, even after this conversation. It was, it was finished in, in 63 AD, and they only got to enjoy it for seven years before everything Jesus said would happen took place. But think about this. For 46 years, another 17 years, for 63 years, all this construction was taking place. This building was magnificent. And so, you know, and speaking of the construction schedule, just to kind of digress for a second, uh, you know, many of you have asked, hey, you know what, when's this, when's this going to happen? And, and I say to you what God tells me when, when, when I tell you. <laughs> You'll know, I live, by, you know, day to day, you know, it's kind of like, oh, we've got a schedule, let's go on. But here's, here's a specific prayer. Pray this specific prayer, God, that, that he would allow us to get in to have our dedication service the first Sunday of February, which will be our second anniversary. That's our prayer. So that answers to you. This is, this is our prayer. This is the direction that we're moving, and, you know, and it's all in God's hands and his timing. But that's what we're shooting for, so that kind of addresses that. So it eliminates all the rest of your guessing and all the rest of your conversations that take place about you know, that matter. But anyway, so... So they're looking at this thing, and this place is amazing. And, and it has inlaid gold in it. I mean, and the clusters, and we talked about the clusters of the grapevines that were built, that, that were there, that were all in gold, and the big clusters of grapes that were in gold. And so as they were out, and they were looking back on this, they were sitting on the Mount of Olivet, and they were up above, and they were looking down on the city of Jerusalem, and they're looking at this temple, and they're looking at all the magnificent buildings. And history tells us, specifically Josephus, the, the great Jewish historian, he said that, you know, when, when you would look at this building at a certain time of day the sun would be setting and it would reflect all of the gold and you could barely even look at it without the glory of this all these buildings just shining in their faces and i gotta believe here's what they were thinking you know lord 
we heard this thing about the two little penny things. And you know what? But if it wasn't for all these great gifts that people gave, none of this would have been possible. So explain to us how that all works, how your economics work. Because if we just got those two little coins, that glorious building and all that went along it would have never happened the way that it did. This is awesome. It's fascinating. It's fabulous. It was like, you know, they say that visitors, as they came into Jerusalem, they would see the domes on the buildings, and it would almost look like snow-capped on mountains, as, as we see here locally in Southern California. When you look up at the mountains, and you see these snow-capped mountains, and just the majesty and the glory of all of it. It was, it was phenomenal. And it was this incredible, you know, the incredible size of the foundation stones. We're told that they were the size of modern-day boxcars. One stone. So can you imagine the glory and the majesty of this building? And so Jesus uses this as a teaching time. And as we look at this, there's three things I want to call to your attention, three, three you know, key things, and the rest will kind of fill in. But the first thing is this, and, and, and as they relate to future events, this glimpse that he gives them of the future, and it's the prophecy of the temple. In verse 6, it's about as simple and clear as it's ever going to get. He said, you know what? You see these things you're looking at? You see this majesty, this magnificent temple and all the buildings around it? I'll tell you that, you know what? There's a time coming when not one stone will be left upon another. All of that is going to be devastated. All of it is going to be just down to the ground. All of it it, that you see there 37 years later Everything took place exactly as Jesus said. You know, the Bible tells us that one year is as a day and a day is as a thousand years to the Lord. We read through when we see Jesus talking about his death, you know, his, his imprisonment, um, his, his, his crucifixion, his resurrection. We, we see him talking great detail about all the events that are going to happen in the future. Over and over and over again, we see him say all of these things. You know, and, and the wonderful thing of all of it is, is that, you know, Jesus, God in, in human form and human presence, you know, gives us a glimpse of what's going to happen in the future. And he says, you see what, what, I, what, what, I'm, what I'm about to tell you is what you see, don't get too hung up on. Because none of these things are going to last. None of them. It would be like somebody 30 years ago visiting New York City and people walking in awe and looking up at the twin towers of the World Trade Center and saying, look at these magnificent buildings and somebody having the audacity to say, you know what, don't get too excited about what you see because there's a day coming where these two buildings are going to come down to the ground and there's not going to be one stone left upon another. They're going to be gone. Now that event in and of itself, you go, oh, lucky guess. But when you couple what Jesus says about the temple and the the surrounding buildings, and you couple them with, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be turned over to, you know, the hands of godless men and they're going to scourge me, they're going to mock me, they're going to spit upon me, they're going to crucify me, but three days later I'm going to raise from the dead and meet me in Galilee and, you know, we got other things that we're going to do and, oh, don't worry about it because, you know, the day that I leave, ascend into heaven... 
you know, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will come and, and He'll comfort you and He'll be your guide and He'll teach you truth and He'll remind you of the things that I say. And, you know, and, and Peter, you know what? Before this night's over, you're going to deny me. You're gonna, the rooster's going to crow three times. But that's all right because I'm not done with you yet. And, and you know what? I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to restore you. And let me just tell you some other things are going to happen. And on and on and on it goes. And let me just tell you something, folks. As I read the Bible and as Jesus gives me a glimpse of the future, it causes me to fall on my knees and to worship and to praise Him as God. Because he knows all things. He sees all things. He acts and brings about all things. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And let me just tell you something about these men. They said to him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when they're about to take place? I read commentators who just beat up the disciples for their, you know, failures, their human frailty. You know, we beat them up all the time. And yet I read this, and and you know what? And one thing that really stood out as I was studying this passage, a character trait that was true of their life that I hope becomes true of you and me, and that is this. They didn't doubt what he said. They didn't say, oh, come on, that's nuts. It took 63 years, or this, at this case, it's 46 years these buildings have been in the making. It's, that's crazy. There's no way. They didn't say any of that. They said, really? When? And, and how will we know when it's about to happen? They believed him. I want you to believe him. I want me to believe him. I want to believe what he says in his word. That all things do work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. I want to have that peace of God that surpasses all understanding. I don't want to worry about the events of this life, but I want to take him to him in prayer. I want him to know my requests and your requests. I want to take them to them so that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. I want to know tomorrow when I go in the hospital that, you know, whatever happens in surgery and whatever has to take place, that it's okay because, you know what, God knows before I know. God knew me before I was even born. God knows every hair in my head and he calls them by name and he knows you too. And I can go in with the complete peace of God and confidence and assurance that no matter what happens, that's nothing that's going to be outside of the knowledge of God. And outside of his preordained plan and purposes. And so the fact that the surgeon moved it up 10 days, I praise God for that. But you know what? If he wouldn't have and it would have been the same, then I praise God because it's all in God's timing. There's nothing that's happening in my life or your life that's not within the parameters of God's handling. And there's such a comfort with all of that. I don't know what you might be struggling with today. But you know what? I would just tell you this. You and I, we need to believe God. We need to know that, you know what, absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. We need to believe God. We need to believe God that, you know what, the day that we pass from this life to the next, there is a next life and that will continue to exist for God's people will exist in his presence. 
we need to warn others that, you know what, for those who reject God's plan, that, you know what, that day is coming where they will have to give an account for their life and they will be judged for their sins because they chose not to allow Jesus to take their sins upon Him at the cross in their place. We need to warn people of upcoming judgment. We need to take God at His word. We need to believe what He says. And you know what, an understanding and having a glimpse of the future should change the way that we live today. Like I said last time we're together, if you knew you had two months to live, wouldn't it affect how you live today? Wouldn't it change how you do things? And you know what? Well, I would just say then we need to change how we do things today because we're not even guaranteed two months. Today may be the day. You know, I told people today in the chapel that I did with Vince for the, you know, Major League Baseball, the, the, the meetings, said, you know what? I mean, bottom line is this. I'm not worried about tomorrow because the Bible says Jesus could come back today and I'd hate to waste today worrying about surgery tomorrow in case he comes. It's something that'll never happen. And so when I get up in the morning, then I'll deal with whatever it is that God, and that's assuming that I'm going to get up in the morning to have to have surgery. I mean, it's so easy. It's real simple. You break it down to the simplest point and it comes down to this. We don't have to worry about anything. Because he says, cast all, my, all your cares upon him. Let me worry about it for you. And you know what? He ain't worried about it because he's got it all under control. So as we go through this, we look at this and they believe Jesus. And I thought, you know what? Is that true of your relationship with God? We need to develop a trust for the Lord by spending time in his word. And the reason most of us, some of us don't believe him is because we don't know him. We don't know His promises. We don't know His Word. We don't know what we can bank on, count on, rely on. Because we're so busy doing other things, we don't make time for Him. He wants to share it with us. You just have to make yourself available. And you know what? And belief is a choice. It's a matter of the will. And it's a, it's a, it's a choice that is made as a matter of the will based upon evidence that is presented to the mind. God says, consider this, dwell on this, contemplate this, and now what? Act upon it. And that's a matter of your will. It's a choice. The second thing that really stood out to me as I was reading this is that, you know what, I thought we must develop a sense of seeing this world as God sees it. You know, to see the world through God's eyes and stop being mesmerized by the material world that is passing away. We see things that we want because they're so attractive to us today. And what Jesus teaches us in the temple and the surrounding buildings is, don't get so hung up on this thing that you see, because you know what, there's a day coming where it ain't going to be there no more. Don't get so hung up. And you know what's really ironic is the place I go to do my chemo treatments is also, um, uh, I, don't know what, I don't know what the politically correct term is to call it, but it's also a place where people to go to make themselves look better physically. So whatever that is, that's what it is. So I'm sitting there, you know, fighting cancer, and somebody's there because they got a bump on their nose that they don't like. And I just think how shallow that is and how just trivial that is and how ridiculous it is to put so much time, effort, and money and resources into bodies that you work on them all you want, you're losing. (laughs) You're just losing. And you don't believe, you don't believe, then just ask us. 
We'll point out all your flaws. I mean, you're, you're losing. We're all losing. Why? Because these bodies are tense. They're temporary. They're passing. Th- no, they're just they're, they're clay pots that just fall apart. But that's not who we are. But we put a whole bunch of effort into it. Now, I'm not saying be lazy and, you know, slovenly and, you know, don't, you know, care what you look like or what you eat. And, you know, because every time I say something, people always jump to the extreme as their argument position. You know what? Well, look, you said, who cares about it? No, I didn't say that. I just said, you know, I, you know, do the best you can with what you have to work with, but don't take a whole lot of time doing it. And, 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 and don't spend a whole bunch of money on it because you ain't getting a good return off it. So, so, but the point is, is that, you know, we need to see the physical world through God's eyes who say everything that you see, think about this, everything you see is passing away and will be burned up one day and God will give us a new heaven and a new earth. Everything you see, you know, and, and the, and the older that we get, the more we get excited about a new body. You ever notice it's only young people that are like, you know, just ripped, cut, studs. It's kind of like, these are the people that sit around going like this. Although I am looking fairly good, I may add. <laughs> they're the, they're the, they are, compared to in and out Chuck. But, but, uh, but uh, they're the only people that get hung up on. So what are we going to look like in heaven? You know, you never hear an old person falling apart going, you know, they're always saying, man, looking forward to the resurrected body. Don't care what it is, what it looks like. Got to be better than what I got left. Isn't that the truth? It's like, so we don't get hung up on this stuff. And so we just need to see things as God sees things. And we need to recognize and understand that, you know what? Our, our warfare is not against flesh and blood. But it's against the rulers, the powers, world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Our fascination with the physical, material world often blinds us to doing right before God. I'm going to tell you the saddest story I've heard recently, and that is this. I've told you a story about a friend of ours who left his wife and his three children for another woman. And his explanation to his wife is, was just mind-boggling to me. But when you choose to sin, it just shows you how stupid you can become without even knowing it. His explanation to his wife was this. But you should see her. She's drop dead gorgeous. What? That's the reason. Why? Because he's seeing this world through fleshly eyes. And he's not seeing it through God's eyes. 50 years ago, 50 years from now. She'll just be drop dead. (laughs) The the gorgeous part, long gone. Fallen by the wayside. Pieces in the shower. Left in the brush. Filled in with stuff. That's the way it is. We have got to see life through spiritual lenses. Now, notice the predictions that will take place. In verses 7 through 11, Jesus began by giving them insight regarding the tumultuous events in history and life so that they wouldn't be deceived or misled into believing that end had come. 
and these things that shouldn't mislead them or mislead us. And he says the same thing. Don't be misled. They question him when and what are the signs. He said, see to it that no one misleads you. And that's God's counsel for you and me today. See to it that nobody deceives you and no one misleads you. And here's the things to watch for. There were those who claimed they were Jesus. You know, what's interesting thing is, is that they were the Messiah. And it wasn't until Jesus lived on this earth... It wasn't until he died on the cross. It wasn't until he rose from the dead. It wasn't until he ascended into heaven that all of these quacks came out of the woodwork because Jesus said, I will return. So a whole bunch of people capitalized on the idea that, oh, well, Jesus is coming back. I'm going to be him. And so there were people that were running around, and we see it in the book of Acts, saying that I'm he. And you know what Jesus said? Hey, you know what? I'm just telling you every detail that I want to give you at this point about the future, and that's this. Not one stone is going to be left upon the other. And I'm just going to tell you some of the things that you need to look for. There are going to be people running around saying that they, they're the Savior of the world. Don't believe them. There's only one Savior, and I'm He, Jesus Christ. Period. we got a whole bunch of religions running around saying, Oh, you know what? We're the Savior. This is the game plan. This is the way. This is the truth. And if you follow our rules and our ways, then you know what? Then you will ascend to some form of deity. Or you'll somehow get some new karma. Or something will be better about your life. And if you don't do it this way and it doesn't turn out for you, don't worry. You'll come back and you have what we call the eternal do-over plan. You get to do it again and again and again and again until you get it right. So, you know, don't fear death. Don't fear judgment. Don't fear God because there is no death. There is no judgment. There is no God. You just keep coming back and you get to do it over and over and over again. And, God, and Jesus said, you know what? Don't believe people like that. We've got his word. His word is truth. We need to believe God's word just like the disciples did and ask, okay, God, give us some insight. When are these things going to happen and what are the signs that they're going to take place? He says, don't listen to them. Don't be deceived by commotions. I like that because he kind of goes on. And when you hear of disturbances, you know, don't be terrified. There's another another exhortation to us. Don't be misled or deceived and don't be terrified. Stop living your life scared. Don't be afraid. Because you know what? I give you peace that this world can't even offer. You have nothing to fear. I have overcome sin. I have overcome death. I have overcome judgment for on your behalf. You have nothing to worry about. Don't sweat it. And I love that. I go into surgery tomorrow and say, you know what? I have nothing to fear. Nothing. We can live courageously because we have nothing to We who have trusted in Christ have nothing to fear. If God is for us, who can be against us? A stupid little tumor? you got to be kidding me. It's like bring something on that's a challenge, and you realize nothing's a challenge for the God. Commotions has to do with terrorism. We live in a world that is so afraid, so fearful. We live, you know, paralyzed. After 9-11, people wouldn't travel anymore. After 9-11, no one would do anything. After 9-11, people sat in their houses in terror, terrified, frightened, frozen to death. Why? Because we're so afraid. Why? Do you think you're going to get blown up in a bus bomb that God doesn't already know about? 
You think you're going to get hurt in some way that God doesn't already know about? You think if that's God's plan or, or will for your life that you can circumvent it somehow and skirt around it and get around it? Hey, you know what? I'm not saying, again, don't take the extreme. I'm not saying being stupid. I'm not saying, hey, well, you know what? It's pointed for man to die once, then comes judgment. You know what? I have nothing to fear. Whatever that day is, that day is. Oh, I think I'll go play on the 405 freeway today. No, no, no one's saying to do that. You know, we need to use sound judgment. We need to, and I, I always laugh when people are like, use your common sense. There's no such thing. No such thing. I always laugh when people say, well, don't they have common sense? Folks, by definition, if it was common, we'd all have it. Use some uncommon sense. Something different from everybody else, you know? So it's like, don't be afraid, don't be terrorized, you know, don't live in fear. Well, we all live in fear, we're afraid of everything. Why? Because we don't trust God. Because we don't take Him at His word. Because we don't believe what He says. And as a result, we are pretty much useless for His purposes. Talks about conflict and wars. He said, you know, when you hear of wars and disturbances, don't be terrified. These things must take place, but the end does not follow immediately. You know, and, and, and I don't have a problem with people who advocate, ad, they're advocates for peace. But I also understand that they don't have a proper biblical worldview. They sit around going, you know what, hey, make love, not war. Hey, that's great. That's a great theory and concept. But you know what? It doesn't hold water because Scripture says all men are sinners. By the same logic, we would say the same people should say, and you know what, we don't need police anymore. Well, we don't, well why do you need a military? Because everyone should just get along. We should just not even have police because we should all just get along. You shouldn't have, you know, rules and regulations in your home or in your family because everybody will just choose to do the right thing. That is nuts. There's no evidence for that. Give everybody a chance to do what they want to do. They're going to do what's best for themselves at the expense of everybody else. Therefore, God ordained government to constrain evil. It's necessary. Is it, is it comfortable? Is it fashionable? Is it fun? No, but it's necessary. And Jesus said, don't get terrified by wars and rumors of wars because you know what? They're necessary. They're just going to happen. They're part of sin nature, part of the fall of man. They come with a package. He says, don't be terrified when these things take place. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. He goes on and says, not only will there be these commotions and conflict, there's going to be catastrophes. You know what? We're going to have earthquakes. And they're going to be all over the place. And we're going to have, you know, plagues and famines and terrors. Great signs from heaven. There are going to be all kind of commotions that are going on and causes that are going to create people to get all goofy and excited. You know, hell, Bob. Remember those people? You know, the, 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 the conflux of the universe and, and the hell, Bob, the comet and all these people went around saying, you know what? Hey, this is the way to, to this new utopia and, you know, let's all kill ourselves. This is the time that the porthole to heaven or whatever it is, the doors open. This is our opportunity. And Jesus said, don't believe crazy people like that. Believe my word. None of this is true, but, you know, we laugh about it. But there are people who believe this stuff. 
And we, who have been granted the mysteries of the knowledge of God, have a responsibility to call error out when we hear it and see it and say, that's not right because God's Word says this. Don't buy into that. You know, know, people get all freaked out. And here's the way it usually works. When you're in the middle of it, you know, talk about a narcissistic, myopic culture that we live in. We interpret all the events of Scripture through our own personal lenses. You know, it's like when this country's at war, oh, the end must be near, Jesus must be returning. Why? Well, because it's us. There are people at war all over the world every day. Every day. In fact, I read somewhere, and I'll see if I got this right, but in the last 3,421 years of recorded history, only 268 have seen no significant war. We're a mess. And it comes with sin nature. We hear people get all freaked out about earthquakes. You know, wouldn't live in California. I hear this from relatives back east. Live out there, you're going to have an earthquake. California going to fall in the ocean. You'll be able to sail from Vegas to Hawaii pretty soon. Really? How's the weather back there? Well, there's a threat of a hurricane. Really? You know, hurricane, tornadoes, earthquakes. It's like, where are you going to go to find utopia? Hey, I'm thinking heaven. I don't know. Just a crazy idea. Use your common sense. (laughs) Okay, so he goes on and he says basically this. Don't be deceived. Don't be afraid. You got a few more minutes. Persecution that will come. Notice this in verses 12 through 19. I love this. But before all these things, let me just tell you something. They're going to lay hands on you and they will persecute you. They will deliver you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. I hope you understand something here. And that is, is that, you know what? All of these things that Jesus are saying are prophetic and also lay claims to his deity. Not just the big things, The temple and the buildings, that's a big one. But you know what? Don't miss the rest of these either. These are all prophetic. And he says, and for you, they're going to persecute you. They're going to lay hands on you. They're going to bring you before kings and governors for my name's sake. And it will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. Oh, I love this. I love this. And the reason this explanation is so wonderful to me is this. Why will they suffer persecution? Why do you and I suffer persecution? It's an important part of God's purposes. We don't hear much about this. Because nobody likes to talk about this. As a pastor, you always like to talk about things that make people feel really good. You know, that's how you get them coming back. That's what they say. Don't say anything that will upset people. Make them feel good, and then they'll come back. You people are great. You keep coming back and get more and more and more of this. And you know why? Because you have a hunger for truth. Just like I would rather go to a doctor who tells me the truth and gives me an opportunity to act upon truth than somebody who will say... Don't worry about coughing up blood. Everybody does it. Really. I never did until recently. 
So really, you know, I don't want to go where people are going to tell me what I want to hear. I want to go where I'm going to hear truth. Because the truth sets us free. And here's the truth. Take it as it is. You and I are called by God to suffer for His name's sake because it will lead to a testimony where we can share the wonderful truth of our blessed Savior. No one cares to hear a thing we have to say when everything is going peachy keen. I'm going to Disneyland! Big stinking deal. Who can relate to that? Especially Southern California. We've all been there and gone there. We've done that before. I want to know about, you know what? I'm going through this physical problem. How do you have peace in the middle of it? I'm going through a tough time in our marriage. How do you deal with that? We got one of our kids that, you know what? We're still thinking we should do maybe a DNA test because we cannot figure out where this child's coming from. But we need, we need to help. We need help. We're having a tough time in our finances. We got more month than means. How, how, how do we deal with that? I got this gnawing thought that, you know what? I don't really know what my purpose in life is. And if I die, man, you know what? I'm, I'm scared to death of death because I don't know what to expect. How do you deal with that? See, you know what? Jesus said, listen, you're going to be persecuted. And it's great. Because it is going to be an opportunity for you to testify of the goodness of God. It's awesome. And so my point, expect persecution. It will lead to an opportunity for testimony. And I'm going to repeat this. God's purposes for His people include our persecution. Persecution opens doors that would otherwise never be opened to the sharing of the gospel. I got a call this week from a guy that I met at St. Joe's Hospital who works there. We developed a relationship and he called me because he was discouraged. I think that is fascinating that he would call me because he's discouraged two days before I'm going to have half my lung cut out. And yet he realized that he could call me. And the reason that he called was because they, have, they had demoted him to another position because there was a woman that he worked with who was having a difficult time in her marriage and went to him because she knew he was a Christian and said, you know what, I'm having a tough time. And he said, you know what, would you mind if I gave you a book to read that might help you? He, she took the book and had it sitting on her desk. And her supervisor saw and said, who gave that to you? And, he, and she said, he did. And ever since then, try to figure out a way to get him out of their department. And he was bumming. And it was great. Because I said, so you got demoted? Yeah. They stuck you in a crummy job? Yeah. Because you shared the gospel with somebody at work? Yeah. I said, isn't that great? 
And he didn't answer. And he said, what? I said, isn't that great? He goes, what are you talking about? I said, isn't it great that God trusted you with this woman's life that she would come to you because you would be faithful to share with her? And isn't it wonderful that you would be persecuted for his name's sake? Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. That is awesome, dude. He was like, "Uh, well, it wasn't quite catching on yet, but we talked a little longer. And it began to make sense to him. I said, isn't that great? And then I shared with him. I said, you know what? I didn't get cancer because I was sharing the gospel with people. There's, I don't see a direct cause and effect. In his life, I see a direct cause of his persecution, or the direct effect of his persecution was from the cause of being obedient. I don't see that in my life. But I see that I'm going to choose to praise him through the circumstances of my life. And so I told him, I said, you know what? Isn't it great that God chose me to bless me with cancer so that I can share with others how God is getting us through this time in our life because we have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? It changes everything about how you look at every circumstance of your life. Instead of whining and moaning and groaning and feeling sorry, oh Lord, we're following you and we're getting persecuted. You remember what Jesus said? They hated me. They're going to hate you. What do you think is going to happen? And so the kicker in our conversation was this. I said, isn't this great? You know you're on the right road. Because the road following Jesus is filled with persecution for his name's sake that you can testify to the world about him. Awesome! Dude, you're on the right road! And he emailed me after he had time to digest it and said, man, what a great relief it was. You know why? Because here's what happens. Here's what we do in our world. Oh, man, I hate when I run out of time. But <laughs> what do you mean it was up 10 minutes ago? Hey, now. But, but here's, here's what happens in our world. We experience persecution because we hear from other people say, God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to really just live your life to please you and then when we're persecuted for his namesake we say oh must be doing something wrong i shouldn't have gave her that book i shouldn't have shared with her god's love i shouldn't have ministered to her in her time of in her time of need and comforted her so therefore what i did must be wrong so therefore i will stop doing it And that, my friends, is a lie from the pit of hell. It is a strategy of the enemy who says, i got to figure out a way to shut these people up because I don't want them glorifying their God. I don't want them praising His name. I don't want people to be comforted in His name and in His name only. So when they experience persecution, I want to convince them that, you know what, God doesn't want you to be persecuted. 
And then we go back to the Word of God, which is our center for everything, and say, you know what? I'm going to say, Lord, you know, thank you for this truth because I am being whispered lies from the enemy and you say we're going to be persecuted, we're going to be delivered up and it's going to lead to an opportunity for testimony. God, here's my prayer. I don't want to miss the opportunity. I don't want to miss it. And his exhortation is, you know what, hey, and I love this. He says, so listen to this. Make, so make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourself. I will give you utterances and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or to refute. Read the book of Acts and you'll see the fulfillment of all these prophecies. Uneducated, untrained fishermen were put between governors, were put before governors and kings and religious leaders and educated people. And you know what? And the Holy Spirit of God put into their mouth the words that God wanted them to share and nobody could say a word to them and they were blown away that these uneducated people could say such truth. Where did that come from? And they had one choice to make. It either came from God or we refuse to acknowledge that. They were blown away. It was all fulfilled. And this is the one time in life where the Bible says, make up your mind ahead of time not to prepare yourself a defense. The other time, Peter says, you know, always be prepared to give a defense or an answer for the hope that's within you. When you're persecuted religiously, then don't worry about what to say. The Spirit of God will tell you exactly what to say in your time of need, and it'll shut everybody up who's listening to you. This has become, out of context, one of the favorite verses for pastors and Sunday school teachers. You know, the Bible says that you're not even to prepare ahead of time what you're going to say. I've sat and listened to guys give sermons that it's pretty evident that they believe that verse to be true of preparation for sermons. It's like, that's not true. And it's pretty evident you think it is. I would suggest, sir, next time spend a little more time in the Word of God. Study, please. Sunday school teachers. You know, we'll just decide what we're going to... Prepare ahead of time. But when persecuted, don't worry about it. All right, let me close with this. Here's the encouragement. Because the rest of it, it it, kind of bums some people out. Your parents are going to hate you. Your brothers, sisters, relatives, friends, they're all going to hate you. Some of them, they're going to kill you. You got relatives. I got some like that. That seriously, I mean, if it came down to me or them, I'm gone. <laughs> and you'll be hated. Why? Because all on account of my name's sake. That's all. They're going to hate you because you chose Jesus. I have a Jewish friend, who, and this was his quote. He said, "You know what? Two thousand years ago, I, you know, he goes, I've become convinced that my my family, my relatives, my people, two thousand years ago, made a huge mistake when it came to Jesus of Nazareth." I have come to believe that he is Yeshua, the Savior, the Deliverer, the Promised One of God. I have put my faith and trust in him for the forgiveness of my sins. And my family will have nothing to do with me. Oh, no, no, your earthly family. But you know what? God's family have everything to do with you, brother, because you're a brother in Christ. And you know what? And, and God welcomes you in and we'll all welcome you too. Because you've got a whole new family. You don't have to worry about any of that. But you know what? You need to reach him with the gospel by the changed life. And he goes on and says this, Yet not a hair of your head will perish, but you're in, by your endurance you will gain your lives. And here's, here's what I want to share with you. Three things. Number one, don't be afraid, right? Don't be afraid. Don't worry about anything. 
Don't worry about anything. Because God's got everything under control. And you know, and as we go through it and we look at all the things that he, that he tells us and, and the exhortation is, and, and, and the, the first thing is, don't be deceived. How, how can we not be deceived? Get in the Word of God. Know God's truth. Don't be afraid. If you're in the Word of God, you won't be afraid because God's Word will, will tell you there's nothing to fear. Fear God. You're accountable to Him. If you're going to be afraid of anything, make sure you're doing what's right before God. Don't be deceived, don't be afraid, and don't worry about anything because God's got it all under control. Isn't that awesome? This is good stuff. I love this book. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to be together. We thank you that uh, you are the, uh, the author, the creator of all life, that you've created everything that we see out of nothing, and one day everything that we see will be destroyed by fire, and you will create a new heaven and a new earth. God, help us to see this life through your lens, a spiritual lens, not to get hung up on the physical world, not to get so enamored by material things. God, help us to be like the disciples who took you at your word, believed everything you said, and acted upon it. God, help us to use the times of our persecution as a testimony of your great love for us and to not miss that opportunity. God, we thank you that you've given us your spirit for those who have trusted in you, who guides us into all truth so that we're not deceived like those around us, that we're not terrified because your presence is within us. And God, we have nothing to worry about because you tell us to cast all our cares upon you and you will care for us. And God, we trust you, we believe you, we love you, and we're going to take this from this day and translate it into how we live our lives so that we can bring you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.